you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. And right now on Fast, a semi-slump and a break in the clouds. We've got our eyes on a couple big after-hours movers from NVIDIA to Snowflake. We've got the numbers and are breaking down the moves. Plus, a Peloton push. Shares seeing their best day since February after announcing a big partnership with Amazon. But is it enough to keep shares out of their rut? And the countdown to Jackson Hole is on. What can we expect from the central bank when it starts its annual meeting tomorrow? And what could it mean for the markets? I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We are live at the, at the NASDAQ market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Julie Beal of Kane Anderson Rudnick. Thank you all for joining me here tonight. Let's start off with a big earnings miss from NVIDIA. The chipmaker stock dropping after EPS and revenue came in sharply lower than expected. Sales guidance also came in a billion dollars shy of expectations. The earnings call kicks off this hour. CNBC Steve Kovac has the latest. Hi, Steve. Hey there, Corey. Yeah, just like you said, NVIDIA reporting a tough quarter as we had expected. Revenue coming in at $6.7 billion versus those estimates of $8.1 billion. But I want to talk about this here because those estimates weren't revised down two weeks ago when uh, NVIDIA came out with its uh, revised guidance on revenue. So that $6.7 billion is actually in line. EPS is a miss, though, $0.51 cents per share, excluding some items versus the $1.26 per share expected. And like you said, revised guidance uh, earlier due to that slowdown in gaming. But guidance for this quarter a billion dollars lighter than expected, $5.9 billion, although they do predict margins will improve significantly this quarter. But the company is hoping to see growth in data center business to fill the gap from gaming. Company booking $3.81 billion in data center revenue. That's up 61% year over year. And CEO Jensen Wang warning in the release of a tough macro environment, especially in the supply chain. Also pointing to autos chips as its next billion dollar revenue opportunity. And like you said, the call is just kicking off right now and we'll be back with any updates you need to know, Court. Thank you very much, Steve. Yeah, we will come back to you as news warrants. Let's go ahead and trade this one. Uh, Dan, I want to start with you. What do you make of, I guess, the good news in the data center? Let's start with some good news. I'm feeling like a positive day. So what do you think about the data center revenue? Up 61 percent. That's not bad. We knew gaming was going to be bad, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great focus because that is the secular shift. I think that the CEO and the company are really focused on going forward here. But make no mistake about it. I mean, these two consecutive guides lower on revenue. These are massive misses. That guide lower was clearly uh, or close to 20 percent when they when they did that a couple weeks ago. And this one is about 15 percent in revenues. And like Steve just said, I mean, you know, gross margins just fell off a cliff here, you know, somewhere around 46 percent expected to kind of move back to 60 percent. So um, I think the good news here is that two consecutive guides like this that are just horrible um, we're probably one quarter away from a trough if that helps at all but the stock went out you know 14 times sales. Um, this is a $440 billion market cap company who's seeing massive margin degradation. And they're seeing uh, not a whole heck of a lot of visibility in their business. So right now, I just think it's a hard name to buy at these levels, given what all the uncertainty that we have. And you know, 35% of their sales um, 
is that gaming business, okay? Now, I get it. I know what that other parts look like, those growth businesses, data center and automotive, but a lot of things have to come together in a difficult environment for them to nail this next quarter too, and I don't think they're probably going to do that right now. Yeah, Tim, if you just look at the pure numbers, I'm looking at the gaming segment. So, I mean, from the first quarter, it was $3.6 billion, and now it's just over $2 billion. That's a pretty huge drop down. But as we look at that gaming segment, we're talking about the chips, of course, that run these big computers that then are mining Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So is a play on NVIDIA really a play on the direction that we see cryptocurrencies at this point, or less so because this business unit, Tim, is now so much smaller than it was? I, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to pigeon and tie them to, to to crypto. I think if anything, put them in AI, uh, put them in gaming, put them in some data center, put them in some of the leading edge technologies. Auto is up 45% year over year. So, I mean, there are places where, again, I think they saw their business also get better and where they actually saw some relief on supply chain, especially in auto. Year over year, it, it you know revenues are up 3%. That's just not good enough uh, for the market here, especially with a forward of 36, 37 times. I think Dan's referencing, you know, company that, look, at, at this point, um, it's hard to say, you know, get really, really fired up over these numbers. What's disappointing is that they guided in July. We, we had numbers. They'd already taken a hit on long-term supply agreements. They'd already guided to uh, a different environment, and, and yet they missed even more so on gaming. Gaming doesn't bother me. I think we would be more concerned on the enterprise side, uh, and I think, uh, you know, for a stock that's you know, fell 56 percent from from all time highs, uh, has rallied a bit, but hasn't had the same kind of boost that some of the other semis have. Semis overall have, have also underperformed the market now for two weeks. Uh, mm. And I think that's you know, I think you see that in this kind of a performance in the aftermarket. Yes, I mean, it's relatively flat today, but I take your point about the week. Julie, I saw you nodding. The viewers can't tell, but I certainly could when uh, Tim was talking there about sort of giving us this warning. It actually got even worse from there. What's your take on what happened here with NVIDIA? And have we troughed or do we need another quarter to get there, as Dan was sort of pronosticating? Well, I think what's concerning is that I think in order for this thing to really work, gaming has to recover. It cannot be just driven on the back of data center or automotive, because both of these are not nearly as reliable as we would like to think. If there is a major wholesale recession, you're just not gonna see the level of spend here. Digitization won't take off. And the problem is that I don't <clears> think <throat> that the US consumer is nearly as strong as we would like it to be going into the holiday season when gaming is obviously so critical. So mm. I worry a lot about what the rest of the year looks like, but I think on the very long term, this is a company that's well positioned. It just has a lot of operating leverage, and so that cuts both ways when, when revenue declines. Yeah, absolutely. And Karen, that's a big revenue decline, or at least a big revenue miss here, too, when we were expecting 8.1 even after this warning, and they came up with 6.7 billion for revenues for the quarter. Right. We just got to hope that they really, really are cleaning the decks. But I agree with what everyone on the panel said. I mean, the stock is a lot lower than it was, but it is hardly cheap. And we don't know that it's bottom. Maybe this quarter will be the bottom. We don't really know that. You know, this used to be considered a very cyclical industry. That seems to be less so now. But the kind of multiple that it's trading at is reflective of no cyclicality to the business. And you know, I think that the misses, as you know, uh, Julie and the guys talked about, are concerning. It's not the main part of their business, but at this multiple, everything needs to be, uh, you know, working on all cylinders, and that's just not happening. So even though it's down a lot, I still don't think it's cheap here. I'd love to buy it at some point. I just, I don't think right here is the place.
you're not ready yet. Okay, we're sitting below 167 right now. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's managing partner at Loop Ventures. Gene, I understand you were positive going into the print tonight. Are you still? I'm more mixed after this. <laughs> and the reason is just the magnitude that this business has hit the wall. It's quite remarkable. Last year, the business grew at 60% for their October quarter. They're guiding for a 17% decline. That is about as big of a slowdown as I have ever seen. And uh, the reason, of course, is because gaming, they're flushing out inventory. Gaming is code for crypto because that's where those sales go through. And so this is part of the hangover of crypto. And the piece that has shifted, and uh, some of the traders have been commenting uh, regarding this too, it's rare when you see these big uh, slowdowns. It's rare that the business bounces back in a subsequent quarter. I think at a minimum, investors are not going to expect the business to bounce back in the or the in the the January quarter. And what that means is the stock probably isn't going to do much between now and then. I do stay generally favorable on this uh, for, of course, all the major tailwinds that are behind it. I want to point out two: one that is a technical tailwind, which is the easy comps, the pain of the October down 17% is to the gain of investors looking more optimistically about growth a year from now. And separately, the segment around automotive, it's just 2% today in automotive and robotics. I think that can be about 30% of the business longer term, much bigger than it is today. It will take many years to get there. The bottom line here, Courtney, no need for further action for most people, but I think beginning of next year is gonna be a good time no NVIDIA. Hey, Gene, it's Dan. You know, uh, I, your commentary, I think, is spot on here. And, and listen, I think we'd all like to be a bit more positive about this story because of all of the levers they have to pull in these emerging technologies over the next few years. But where I get tripped up right now, especially with the stock being cut in half from those all-time highs, is valuation. Where should a company like this trade on the market cap that it has, you know, at 14 and a half times sales this year and 12 and a half next, this is not where a company like this or a stock like this troughs. Agree, and maybe to put some context around this, this is a $425 billion market cap. If you look at Intel and AMD, they don't have the same growth profile, but those are called 125, 130, $150 billion. This is a much higher price you pay for the, the growth, but, and there, there can be some sort of uh, a reckoning. Again, I'm, I'm thinking that this, there's no need for further action in the near term. And the bigger question I'm asking as we get to that point of next year, what's the core, the fundamental question I'm gonna be asking is how strong are those tailwinds? I think they're strong. But to your valuation question, Dan, is that historically, these companies have not withheld the test of time. Historically, uh, chip uh, companies have come and gone. There are changes in t chip architecture just ask any Intel investor who has held the stock since 2000. The stock is up 28% since then. That's an example of a changing guard. NVIDIA during the same period was up 7,000%. And so I think you need to be cautious. I'm not uh, at a point today to answer that question mm -hmm. about the changing of guard. I think NVIDIA still is in a great spot, but that ultimately is where the valuation question comes down to me. If they can keep growing at 60%, stock's cheap. If it goes to 30, 25%, it's overpriced. Gene, any read-throughs here before we let you go on some of the other competitors? If this one has a much richer valuation and you're paying up for growth, are there other names that we should sort of be paying attention to now that we have full details of NVIDIA's quarter? I still think Intel is uh, attractive. There's some favorable pieces to it. Uh, they have a lot to do around building this fab. I think this whole onshoring theme is a, a multi-decade 
uh, piece, and I think Intel is in a relatively good position around that. Interesting stuff. Gene Munster, always love having you on. Thanks for the quick reaction. Thank you. Let's take this around the horn, Tim. I'm going to go back to you. What do you make of what Gene had to say here? He's uh, not really fully out there ready to make a new call, but he did say he's mixed and going into it. He was positive, so not thrilled about what we got in the details. Yeah, and and as I would expect him to be, very consistent with a view that this is one of the most important companies in the world right now and and that this is uh, uh, they are running into some of the same headwinds that other companies are, and this is a case of you really are uh, running into some demand on the gaming side, but it doesn't change the fact that this company is so well positioned in leading edge technologies. Uh, it, 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 the reality of, you know, I've mentioned 37 times forward, that's really before you get a lot of the downgrades. For example, JP Morgan uh, recently, after that July warning, downgraded the stock uh, 560 in earnings and 23 down to 380. Uh, those kinds of numbers mean that the valuation gets that much more expensive. If you're trading the stock, to me, it seems like your, your collar is somewhere around 150, which was the downside of where we got to where it does look like there's support that even goes back to uh, kind of some of those run-ups uh, in, in the crisis. But really, it, it fell apart at 180, and that's where you run into the 100-day, and that's another place where I think the stocks, uh, until you break on the upside north of 180 or below mm-hmm. 150, uh, I think you stay out. Hmm. Okay, well, then we are right in the middle of that trading range for you right now. Coming up, we've got more earnings movers on deck, shares of Salesforce and Snowflake, both on the move after their reports with different directions. We'll bring you the numbers next, plus all eyes on the Fed as the Central Bank's Jackson Hole Conference kicks off tomorrow. Top market, for- market forecaster Jim Bianco joins us to break down what we can expect. You don't want to go anywhere. Fast Money will be back in two minutes. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have earnings alerts on a couple of cloud stocks. So let's start with Salesforce. Shares moving lower after issuing weak guidance for the next quarter and the full year. Frank Holland has been listening in on that conference call. Frank, what you hearing? Yeah, just listen to the call right now. Mark Benioff citing currency impact. We're going to get to that in just a second. But really soft guidance for the current quarter and the full year. That appears to be what's weighing on this stock right now when you look at the declines. Current heart quarter hit the hardest. Even top end of EPS guidance eight cents below estimates. 
One thing to note, despite that revenue beat in this quarter, subscription and support revenues, those were actually below estimates, and that's where Salesforce gets almost all of its revenue from. Also, for a second consecutive quarter, no operating margin guidance. That's something that analysts have really keyed in as a key metric. While Salesforce still is reaffirming its full-year margin guidance at over 20%, you got to remember Q1 was over 18%. So a lot of questions about how that margin expansion will happen with the currency impact that the company has been citing. Um, also, a third of its business outside the Americas. Again, just on the call a short time ago, Mark Benioff saying they had a good quarter, but the dollar had an even better quarter. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's uh, putting it lightly, seeing it's a 20-year highs or thereabouts. Thank you very much, Frank. Let's trade this one. Dan, what do you make of the uh, quarter, but I guess really less the quarter and more the outlook for Salesforce? That's really what we're trading on here. Yeah, I think you want to think about just enterprise spending in general here. And I think based on some of the things what we heard from NVIDIA and, and some of the things that uh, CEO, uh, co-CEO Brett Taylor is saying, at least in the press release, I'm not listening to the call. I mean, they're talking about a more measured buying environment. And again, you know, if you think of all of the data that we're trying to kind of, um, you know, figure out whether we're in a recession here in the U.S., whether Europe's in one, whether there's going to be a global recession, these are the sorts of things that you start to say, okay, things might might start snowballing here a little bit. Measured buying, okay, is going to turn into basically the sorts of declines that we're seeing in revenue from a company like NVIDIA. So this guide wasn't particularly great. Um, and a lot of these companies, I guess, have yet to really have that bloodletting where, you know, you really can reset for the out year, that sort of thing. So again, I, I don't think this one's a buy right here. The mm. guidance wasn't great. And they probably should have really thrown a little bit more at the forward guidance not giving the operating uh, margin guidance is also a problem in my mind. Yeah, interesting. I'm not sure if they just don't know how to how to forecast it themselves or what. If there was a, a deeper reasoning there, maybe Frank can tell us more. But Julie, what do you make of this one? I, I mean, Salesforce, obviously, PE of 37, not necessarily cheap here, even if you uh, have a, a nice buying opportunity after a down day opening tomorrow. Yeah, I think fundamentally looking at this business, I agree with Dan, the forward looking indicators aren't very positive. And I think at the margin, you're going to see a lot of enterprises thinking about pulling back on their spending, both in terms of what they're spending on labor, but also, you know, these kinds of subscription software services. What actually blew me away about this release was the free cash flow mm. was one third what guidance was supposed to be. And if you look at this business over the last five years and you back out acquisitions, which our cost of doing their business, if you're going to count it in their growth, this thing actually hasn't generated any cash in five years. So I worry a lot about this business being built on solely on the ability to acquire businesses, use that to fund their growth rather than, you know, the fundamental earnings power that it has. You see that in the operating margin guidance that they're not even willing to give. Huh. Very fascinating stuff. Yeah, of course, you want the businesses that you have to be growing and not just acquiring new ones to develop your growth. We're going to pivot now, if we can, to Snowflake. It's a different story there. Shares actually surging after the company top estimates here, trading up about 18 percent. Frank Holland doing double duty. He's got this one for us, too. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Courtney. He's actually hopping off the call right now. Analysts asking their questions. One of the things they're really focusing on is the growth and product. We're going to get to that in just a second. But Snowflake, Snowflake appears to be moving higher on really upbeat guidance and growth in those key metrics that clearly analysts and investors believe justify this stock's sky-high valuation. 
Got to remember, valuation is more than 1,000 times forward earnings. You were just talking about what Salesforce was at 37 times. The top end of the guide on product revenue above estimates for both the next quarter and the full year. Also, better than expected growth for customers in this quarter, even in this uncertain macro environment. Net revenue retention, that's revenue growth from current customers at 171%, kind of in line with the growth we've seen in previous quarters. Outlook, also pointing towards expectations of not only increased growth, but increased profitability. Snowflake guiding margin expansion in a lot of key categories, including product, as I, again, where it gets the majority of revenue. Also, overall operating margin and also margin expansion when it comes to free cash flow. Courtney, hmm. back over to you. Very interesting quarter on this one, Frank. Karen, what do you make of what's going on here with Snowflake? I mean, investors clearly like what they're hearing. I know the call is still ongoing, it sounds like. Yeah, so very different commentary. I mean, obviously, businesses are willing to spend. Their customers are willing to spend. And they have that sort of unique model where you just you just pay for what you use. The margins here, I mean, you know, that's the great thing about software. You increase the revenue, which they're talking about very big increases in revenue. With the margins being as big as they are, I think they were uh, either 72 or 75 percent. One uh, was gap adjusted. That's a pretty fantastic margin. So even though this one isn't cheap, it's, uh, it makes sense to me that it's up this much. I mean, to have that kind of revenue growth when sort of all around you are, uh, you know, tepid at best or lower than that, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, what do you think of this? I mean, this is a pretty rich valuation, though. My goodness. Well, it's a, it's a rich valuation, especially when profitability is held in question. This is the kind of stock that was really destroyed, um, the high multiple stocks that really aren't making money. And, and so if you look at the, you know, the kind of the bounce here, I think there's also there's definitely been some short covering. But but as has been noted here, this is a consumption based model. Uh, the data analytics that they provide are things that a lot of people need and actually are not cutting back on. And in fact, um, they are getting close and there's rumblings that there's major, major contracts that they're closing in on. So um, I think it's a it's a name that it doesn't surprise me that you're you're seeing this kind of a of a surge and and you know the sentiment had really been awful uh, and i think a, a lot of people were questioning whether uh, they did have the pipeline that they do have this is reaffirmation of that um, but again it's a it's a company i think in this environment um, i think you're going to see a bounce and i don't think you're chasing that bounce there is a bounce right now, up almost 18% after hours. We'll have to see what happens tomorrow morning when that opening bell sounds. And by the way, the CEOs of both Salesforce and Snowflake will be on Mad Money tonight. So you don't want to miss those exclusive interviews. They're at the top of the hour. We got you all ready for them. Well, coming up, more earnings to get to tonight. These ones in the retail space. They're watching. We're watching. William Sonoma, Victoria's Secret. We'll bring you those numbers straight ahead. But first, Jackson Hole jitters. Investors waiting with bated breath for any updates from the Fed this weekend. So what can we expect from the Central Bank Symposium? You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this, and we'll talk about it all. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street seeing green today with the major markets all breaking three-day losing streaks. The move coming as Fed officials get ready to kick off their Jackson Hole Summit tomorrow. But how can we expect markets to react from what comes from the central bank 
in the coming days? This has been the big question for some time, and now it is really upon us. So let's get more on what to expect with market forecaster Jim Bianco. He runs Bianco Research. Jim, any expectations that that Fed Chairman Powell and the other Fed speakers, frankly, will make any action towards this pivot we've all been talking about? Or is it steady as she goes? We still got a long way to see what the policy that's already been enacted will actually do. Yeah, I think it's steady as it goes. It's way too early for the Fed to consider a pivot. But let's talk about what's changed in the market in the last couple of weeks. Back in July, the Fed said that they would abandon forward guidance, which is a fancy way of saying they're going to tell you what they're going to do before they do it. They're going to be data dependent. And the market thought, good, you're going to see data that's going to give you reason to stop raising rates by the end of the year and start cutting rates by the middle of the next year. In the last couple of weeks, there's been some doubt cast on whether or not that data is going to come to pass. The Fed may see reasons to continue to raise rates in the 23 or at a minimum not cut rates until 2024. And I think that that's what's giving the market jitters. So I expect Chairman Powell is going to reiterate that. It's too early to be talking about a pivot. There's very little evidence that the labor market is really hurting. There's some, but not enough to get the Fed to stop from their primary mission as they see it is in fighting inflation. Hey, Jim, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. I completely agree with you about the pivot. But what is it that you think that the Fed needs to see in terms of inflation or bad, I guess, recession uh, economic data that would make them pivot? I think they, I think the focus is going to turn to core inflation, because if you look at year over year core, there's a possibility in the next 60 days, the next two months, that could make a new high. The old high is six and a half percent year over year set in March. If it doesn't make a new high, we're going to come very close to it. I think they have to see that data start to come down, because right now what we're seeing in headline inflation is just crude oil and more specifically gasoline, as I've joked we could get rid of all of the quote machines and all the analysis. Let's just have an emotional reaction to the price of gas, because that seems to be all that's driving these markets right now. So you show signs that core inflation is really peaked and it's up in the air whether or not it has right now. Then I think the Fed might start to consider a pivot. And it's again, it's way too early to say that. Jim, when I was reading your notes, what stood out to me is a comment that you said, we're not going back to the pre-COVID economy. Explain what that means. And obviously, we have a Fed that's going to be in a very different place. We have a market that probably doesn't have that Fed put. But what about the economy? You hear a lot of people talk about when the economy returns to normal. Um, it is normal right now. This is the post-COVID <laughs> normal. Post-COVID is a different economy. We're not going back to the way that things worked in 2019. And that specifically, I mean, work from home, our consumption basket has changed and a lot of other things have changed. The sooner we recognize that, the sooner we could get about fixing the problems with the supply chain, with the bloat in inventories at retailers because they're stocking the shelves with the wrong stuff. We need to understand that this is a different economy. That does not mean dystopian. That just means different. And I think that this is also leading to more inflation. So those that talk about when things return to normal, when the supply chain corrects itself, when everything goes back to 2019, yes, and the end train is packed with people and everybody goes back to the offices in Midtown, <laughs> guess what? I don't think that's going to happen. And when we start to recognize that that's not going to happen, then we can get about this idea that there is a post-COVID economy, which is not like the pre-COVID economy. 
Very interesting thoughts, Jim Bianco. Thank you for joining us. I want to trade this. You, you know, Tim, I'd be okay if the in-train was a little less crowded, but generally I want economic growth to be pretty strong. What do you think we're going to hear from Jackson Hole? And what does the market, frankly, need to hear if they're telling us we're not going to give you so much transparency anymore? If only the problems on the subway are about the, the crowdedness of them. Uh, that's just, you know, that's the least of it. I, I think what we want to hear from the Fed is that they're going to be data dependent, which means that we have no idea. I think what we also should expect from the Fed is, is more commentary uh, that will have nuances that people can read in each direction. But make no mistake, uh, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with Jim. Uh, I, I think this is a labor market that uh, job losses and some of the uh, some of the, even the job cuts that we've seen, we're finding people having two or three job offers waiting for them. The participation rate is extremely low. The labor market will be resilient. And, and I think, which doesn't mean I, I think it's, you know, we're at peak jobs, but I, I think it, it doesn't fall apart. And I think that kind of uh, labor and services inflation is something that the Fed's going to have to fight. Uh, the globalization factor, um, globalization is dead. Uh, and, and that was actually a very deflationary force for the last 25 years. So for people that think that yields have, have moved lower, also the impact on the economy, I, I just, I don't think we've seen a bottom in yields. And obviously, We've got a 10-year now that's 60 bips off where it was just three weeks ago. So I think the Fed needs to be, uh, we don't need to, the Fed does not need to tell us everything on their mind. I think the Fed has spent too much time in the last five years trying to be overly transparent. Yeah, I guess Bianco points out that uh, Powell's Jackson Hole speech last year was 100% wrong. So maybe it would be okay if they didn't tell us everything all the time. Julia, um, I, I see that you're nodding here. There's a lot of threads that we can pull, but I like the idea that maybe we are operating in a new normal and we need to sort of get used to things, get ourselves a little bit of a reset. Maybe 2% inflation isn't normal anymore. What do you think that we should be expecting the Fed to say if none of us really know what normal means post-COVID? I think it's on the Fed right now to have a lot more clarity on whether or not there's going to be this pivot because everyone is soups excited about it. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's, it would be great, right? But I don't think that is a reflection of where we are in the economy and certainly where we are with inflation. Let's say that inflation has peaked eight, eight and a half is still very, very high. And it's critical to fight that because we do not want to end up in the stagflation they had in the 70s where they just didn't do enough to make the recession happen and have a full reset. The idea that we should be avoiding recessions is silly, right? They're part, cycles are, are a normal part of, of how things work. There's a lot of good creative destruction that happens in them. We just want resilient businesses as investors. So I, I think longer term, I agree. I think inflation is going to be persistent and here with us for a while. I think the supply chain is gonna be broken for years. And I, I think that we all need to kind of bear in mind that it's going to take time for any kind of semblance of normalcy to really occur because we're in constant pendulum swinging. Well, it's like nerd Super Bowl. We're all very excited about what Mr. Powell has to say. But I want us to hang that up for a second because we've got a market flash on some telehealth stocks. Shares of Teladoc, GoodRx, and Amwell all moving higher after some news from Amazon. Kate Rogers, what the heck is going on? <laughs> Hey, Court, well, Amazon will shutter Amazon Care, its virtual and in-home health care service, by the end of the year. This was initially reported by the Washington Post. We've confirmed the news as well. Amazon Care has half a dozen corporate customers that include Hilton, Silicon Labs, Precor, and Whole Foods. The Washington Post reported that workers were told the service was shutting down because those customers did not see the value in the service. And as you mentioned, shares of Teladoc were rising on the news by more than 5%. GoodRx and American Well also gaining traction in the after hours here on this news. Back over to you.
Hmm, interesting stuff. More Amazon and health news, at least somewhere they're related. Thank you very much, Kate Rogers, for bringing that to us. Well, coming up, more earnings on the way. Shares of Williams-Sonoma and Victoria's Secret on the move, both reporting after the bell. We will break down those numbers next. Stick with us. Fast Money will be right back. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Victoria's Secret. Shares dropping in the after hours after the company missed revenue estimates and warned of weak sales in the next few quarters, down more than 7%. Karen, what do you make of this one? You know, I can't say that I'm surprised that they missed expectations. We know that this sort of middle market consumer is struggling and the company in itself is going through quite a bit of a brand transformation. Is this viable here at all? No, I mean, it's cheap, but it's it should be right, because there's a lot of things that are going wrong. I mean, uh, th- this guidance is really terrible. I mean, the the sort of the estimate you could drive a truck through, which tells us, you know, we don't they don't have a good handle on their business. It's difficult. That mall based uh, store has been, you know, challenged. And then getting to your point, I'm not exactly sure anymore exactly who the Victoria's Secret customer yep. is. But I would think there's a big overlap with some of the, you know, the rack uh, customer that Nordstrom was talking about or um, Bloomingdale's um, outlet stores also weaker. I would think there's a lot of overlap with that customer. So at every turn, it's sort of challenged. The price is cheap. It should be cheap. I'd stay away. Yeah, you know, Julie, I think that's my biggest question when I think about Victoria's Secret is really just the fundamental story. I, I wonder if the heyday is behind it because that was a brand that sort of fit in a different moment in time. I think we're all a little bit more woke now about what we believe our definition of beautiful is. And to be honest, I'm not sure that really fits with what Victoria's Secret is. So I guess I'll skew the same question as as Karen. It's cheap. Is it viable? Is there a possibility for a turnaround here that would make sense for you to enter in now? I don't think so, not at least in the near to medium term, right? I remember covering this company as a little baby sell-side analyst in 2006, <laughs> and I had been covering industrials, and we go to meet the management team, and they're talking to us about bra construction and architecture, and they're like, the key is nipple coverage. And I'm writing in my notebook, nipple coverage, and I'm like, what is my life, right? But that right. was a real era of a, of a brand and a category, and now... Right. You have so much more competition from these upstart brands who don't want the level of coverage. They don't want underwire, negative underwear, little nothing, right? Right. And that is the problem, right, is before it took actual R&D to build these things. And it took sales and marketing to develop the brand. But now you have Instagram and you can find all these wonderful upstart brands. This market share decline is something like they owned half of the category and they just don't anymore. So I I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I, I had a friend that worked there one time, and she too said, you wouldn't believe the amount of research that goes into making the perfect bra. But perhaps things have changed. The styles and what we want have changed. But good points there. And we do have to move on and talk about shares of William Sonoma. Volvo, after its report, the stock beating in the top and bottom line. The company also reaffirming full-year guidance elsewhere in the home goods space. Details on Bed Bath & Beyond financing. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the loan could be close to $400 million. 
Tim, when I last looked, I think they only had about $107 million of cash, so perhaps they need it. But Trader's Choice, which one of these stories is more interesting to you? Bed Bath & Beyond, which is now under a billion dollars market cap, or Williams-Sonoma, which frankly just appears to be hitting on all cylinders. On the call, I understand orders are accelerating into the third quarter, so we don't have enough couches still. Yeah, and I'm still blushing from the Victoria's Secret conversation. So, uh, and and to me, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond is a is a no touch for a lot of different reasons. So let's talk about William Sonoma, which is a fantastic story. It's a, it's an interesting story on valuation. It's a company that I think, um, look, they were in a sweet spot of nesting and, and home improvement and 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 whatnot. But I think uh, to the extent that they're resisting you know, massive promotional activity here, uh, they haven't seen a complete fallout. I also think that the 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 the, the nesting dynamics are things that are one of those trends that's more or less here to stay. The, 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 the key here is this stock, um, after being bludgeoned, uh, along with RH, these stocks were, were up over 50% off of those lows. I mean, they were very, very well bid, especially as interest rates went down to 250 on the 10-year. Uh, there's been a correlation, obviously, as rates have gone to 310 on the 10-year. And I think you actually do watch, uh, at least tactically, where rates are uh, for your next move back in this one. But you're waiting for weakness to buy it. You're not, you're not chasing it here. Yeah, Karen, I actually think we almost don't talk about Williams-Sonoma enough because of how well they're doing. And you look at Bed Bath & Beyond, which, of course, sort of has its own operational problems beyond just selling the maybe similar goods to some degree, but at a lower price. But then you look at Wayfair, right? It's an online marketplace, but also a bit of a disaster. And then Williams-Sonoma comps up 11 percent, up 21 percent at Pottery Barn. I mean, and, and so as Tim alluded to, not promotional, which I think is great. And they seem to be executing. It sounds like mm -hmm. in terms of efficiency and delivery, they're actually doing better than, you know, I've ordered a few couches from Restoration Hardware and, you know, they'll be like, OK, April of 23. I can't think that far in advance. So, I mean, <laughs> they've, I, good for them. Laura Albers has really done a fantastic job here. The stock at 10 times isn't expensive. I know people think, all right, it was a lot of pull forward in the pandemic, but kudos to her. Outstanding execution. Yeah, yeah. Merchandise margins were higher. Margins overall lower, but they got hit by higher freight and shipping, but enabled to uh, hold that pricing and on the merchandise. Pretty good stuff in this environment. Well, coming up, China tech options. Traders piling into JD.com on the back of those companies reporting earnings. Now they're playing that name coming up next. Plus, we're digging into two big gainers from today's session. So what had Peloton and SoFi surging? Well, the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of JD.com, a 4%, getting a boost after earnings yesterday. The move coming even after the Chinese tech company posted its slowest revenue growth on record. And at least one trader is betting there are more gains to come. Tony Zhang is on the fast line with the action tonight. Tony, what are you seeing? Yeah, Courtney, what we saw was that uh, despite yesterday's earnings, we saw another five times the average daily volume today. One specific trade took almost a third of the total volume today, where someone sold 20,000 contracts in September 46 calls for about 1457 and bought 20,000 contracts in December 50 calls at 1372. So this is a trader that likely was rolling some profits in that September contract into the longer term December contract, but still laying out $27 million in premium to bet that JD.com still has further to go until the end of the year. Okay, well, let's trade this China tech deal. Tim, what do you make of Tony's trade? 
what to do about China Tech? It's a story that that is a function of of a whole lot of geopol. Uh, sorry, political, not geopolitical, uh, local political dynamics. It's not about valuation, and in fact, it's not even about gross margin. And, and some of the things that other retailers are running into. Actually, JD's seen some improvement in the gross margin, and going over to Alibaba, which we've talked about in the last few months, has been very much a range trade at the bottom of that range. If you believe this is the bottom, because around 90 on Baba, you've actually seen support two times, and you've had. Uh, 30 to 40 percent trades up into the 120s. Uh, the dynamic around the pressure that's coming from the government, question in, is it on, is it off? There's been some sense that, that Jack Ma has made peace with Chinese regulators. And if that's the case, I think you actually can own China Tech. JD is actually uh, cheaper of the two with a higher growth margin. Um, but I am long Alibaba and I'm, I'm hanging in there. I think you have to have some stop losses in there because I do think there's a lot of risk here. Uh, valuations are not your issue, but valuations, Baba is cheap. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of risk surrounding anything to do with China right now, it seems. Tony, our thanks to you. More options action. Of course, if you tune into that full show, it's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'll see you there. Well, coming up, Peloton surging today after announcing a new deal with an e-commerce giant. The new way shoppers can get their hands on those bikes. The details next. Plus, shares of SoFi and Watch as President Biden announces a major student loan forgiveness plan. What the new policy will mean for the stock? When Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Peloton topping the tape today. Shares climbing more than 20% after the company announced a new partnership with Amazon, marking the connected bike maker's first venture outside of direct-to-consumer sales. Amazon will offer the original Peloton bike, its strength product Peloton Glide, as well as some other branded accessories. But even with today's gain, the stock is down more than 90, 90% from its record high in January of 2021. Karen, let's trade it. Do you think shares deserve to be up 20% on this news? just selling accessories through Amazon and the bike itself, of course. Well, I guess I look at it a different way. It's up like, I don't know what, a buck, 80. I don't know where it there ended up closing. So that's not such a big move. I mean, good for that. He's doing all the right things. Just, I don't know if you know the, you know, the saying when a uh, great management team combines with a mediocre company, it's the reputation of the company that remains intact. He's doing all the right things, but I just, you know, I, I feel like their, their sort of time has come and gone, and now the bike is sort of commoditized, and um, I guess there's a lot of value in the subscription somewhere there, but uh, I don't know. For me, it's a, it's a no touch. No touch. Okay. Julie, what do you think about this move? Does this make them more valuable, reachable to more consumers? Apparently, they had some crazy amount of search on Amazon for Peloton anyway, so people were already looking there for it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like this is a company that struggles with brand recognition, right? It's not like I'm like, oh, what bike? Like, it's not like I have a hard time finding it. And that's really what Amazon is so good at is aggregating information for you to discover new brands or discover new devices or God knows what, really. Um, so I, to me, it doesn't actually, it, you're expanding your distribution, but you're losing control of your distribution. And so much of what mm. made Peloton really special was that high-level, high-touch service. So... This, to me, reeks of the desperation of the end of this cycle of, of this business. Fascinating. That is actually a very interesting point. I went to buying like a flat 
extension cord the other day. I don't really care what the brand is, right? Kind of a commoditized product. That's what I go to Amazon for. Meanwhile, we're keeping an eye on SoFi after the Biden administration confirmed its student debt forgiveness plan, canceling $10,000 in federal loans for most borrowers and extending the pause on repayments to 2023. So by the end of the second quarter, student loans accounted for nearly 40 percent of SoFi's total loan portfolio. Shares of SoFi rose four and a half percent today. So what does the latest update on repayments mean for the lender? Dan, I've been thinking about this one all day long, yeah. and there's a lot of threads to pull on this. I, but what are your thoughts here? Yeah, no, it's a confusing one. I think it's been an overhang for the story here. So I think the clarity is probably good news. And it also comes on a day where there was a huge block that traded um, nearly 30 million shares down at $6.10. I think that, um, you know, since SoFi said that they are, excuse me, since SoftBank a couple weeks ago said they're going to sell some or most or all of their stake, they're the second largest holder. That's also been an overhang here. So all of a sudden now you get a bit more clarity here. It's probably um, SoftBank selling here. Um, that being said, you know, I remember when we were talking about the SoftBank um, headline a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, this thing probably gets back towards its lows near five bucks before it's all said and done. So there's probably no big rush here on this one. OK, that makes sense to me. Tim, what do you think about SoFi here? Anything with today's announcement and the clarity therein change your thesis? No, I, I look, I think, that, you know, this is clarity. This is helpful. Um, there's a I don't know, a 14 percent short interest in the stock that that is is probably higher, actually, than the last reports I saw. So I think that's a dynamic. It, some of the themes that we've we've all addressed tonight, though, are, are consumer credit oriented. And I, I just mm-hmm. think uh, combine that with the high multiple tech dynamic and the fintech dynamic that may not be all that, um, you know, may not be all that unique relative to other even bigger legacy players. I, I I actually think it's a very interesting business. I, I just think as a stock right here, um, it, it's something that I, I'm not, uh, I'm, there's no FOMO uh, that you now actually have gotten through all of these headwinds. Okay, fair enough. That makes sense and helped to sort of clear out what this means for a company involved with a loan portfolio, 40% of that being student loans. Coming up next, it's time for your final trades. It's time for the final trades. Let's go around the horn and start with you, Julie. Uh, Globus Medical is a company that does uh, spinal implants and robotics. I think they're really on the key trends of demographics, including replacing joints. So it's a business for the long term. Very cool. Karen. Yeah, thanks for being here. Court goes by quick, right? Um, my final trades lift. It sort of retraced all of its uh, gain from when they had that nice quarter, as did Uber last time. So uh, at 15 and change, I like lift. Dan. Uh, yeah, Tesla. It's a name I'm short. I have been short. I'm losing money in it, and I get ridiculed for it. But you know, the stock's going to split three for one tomorrow. The last time it split in August of 2020, ran up hard, sold off 30% the month later. I think the stock could sell off again. I wouldn't be buying it on the split. Fair enough. Tim, give it to me quick. Great having you, Courtney. Chevron, oil's going higher. Thank you. Thank you, and thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. 